Good evening. This is the People's School for Marcus Leonard Studies, September 24th, Thursday evening. We're going to continue The United Front by Georgi Dimitrov, very apropos to today's world and what's going on now. A little background. The Communist International had a policy during the 20s, which was based on exposure to something called social fascism, explaining what social democracy was, what it did in Germany, etc. 1935, about that period of time, the policy of the international movement changed drastically. We went from a position of fighting social fascism to now joining against with other forces, other workers' parties, which were social democratic parties. They were considered workers' parties. And fighting against fascism. That became a united front. That the things, the time was different. It was a different period. The reality that we had in the 20s no longer existed. As Marx said, the reality changes. Things are constantly changing. When the reality changes, we have to deal with it in a different way, and the party line changes. That's the history of the communist movement. So with that short explanation, we're going to go to Sirsa. Last week was the United Front. She's going to start talking about something called the Popular Front. We are starting on page 162. The, the title of the chapter is The People's Front. The policy of the People's Front of Struggle Against Fascism and War, proclaimed by the Seventh Congress of the Communist International, has aroused a mighty echo among the working masses of all countries. The practical realization of this policy in France and Spain has provided clear proof that the People's Front is actually possible and has enhanced its popularity. There is not a single country at the present time where the idea of the People's Front does not daily find more and more adherence among all those who cherish democracy and freedom, among all those who advocate peace among nations. The effort to form a People's Front is growing as well in countries where the bourgeois democratic revolution has still by no means had its last say. In Japan, for instance, where the fascist feudal military clique, with its rapacious military, adventures on Chinese territory and on the frontiers of the great Soviet Union, is thrusting the Japanese people into an abyss of most terrible calamities. And it is growing also in the so-called classic countries of bourgeois democracy. In Great Britain, for instance, where the destinies of nations have been traditionally decided by the two parties of monopoly capital, the Tory and the Liberal, which by their reactionary policy, both nationally and internationally, paved the way for the burial of democracy and peace. The tremendous historical significance, the correctness and timeliness of the People's Front policy are perhaps particularly clearly expressed in the attitude 
towards this policy shown by the enemies of the proletariat, the enemies of democracy and peace, the fascist war incendiaries, and the reactionary forces throughout the world, the governments of capitalist countries, bourgeois parties, statesmen and politicians, bourgeois newspapers, have all become seriously alarmed by the decision of the Congress. The reactionaries of all countries have raised an unparalleled campaign of slander and calamity against the Communist International and against all adherents of the People's Front. In fascist Germany, they have even formed a special organization called the Anti-Comintern to carry on propaganda on an international scale against the Communist International and to combat the policy of the People's Front at the National Socialist Congress at Nuremberg. Hitler, Goebbels, and Rosenberg opened a particularly furious cannonade against the danger of the People's Front, which is menacing the fascist dictatorship and against democracy in general, while directing the most vehement outbursts against the already existing People's Front in France and Spain, they at the same time thus express their alarm and fear of the People's Front movement, which is taking shape in Germany itself, the Pope at Rome and their graces, the bishops in different countries hastened with epistles and sermons to shield their flock from the frightful Bolshevik danger. The People's Front, the question of the People's Front is always in the columns of the press in the capitalist countries and is the subject of the most lively discussion. Okay, this, this is qualitative difference. He makes it very clear here what he's saying. There's no confusion. It's crystal clear what the comrade Dimitrov is saying, the difference between the People's Front and the United Front. He mentions, I'm even going to go into it. He says, it is growing that the so-called classic countries of bourgeois democracy, and he gives the example, England, where they have two political parties, he said, which by their reactionary policy, both, both nationally and internationally, they paved the way for the burial of democracy and the burial of peace. So he makes very clear that he's talking against the bourgeois parties. But even into that, he says the correctness and timeliness of a people's front, particularly expressed in this policy, the people who hate it the most are the enemies of the workers, the enemies of democracy, the enemies of peace. He says that. So he makes it very clear that even though we're opposed to the bourgeois parties, at a time when we're dealing with the People's Front, with opposition to fascism, it's a whole different world. Remember that Comrade Stalin was leading the international movement when this was written. In previous chapters, I think it was the first chapter, Dimitrov outlines the People's Front as Quote, in mobilizing the mass of working people for the struggle against fascism, the formation of a wide anti-fascist people's front on the basis of the proletarian united front is a particularly important task. And so Dimitrov 
is arguing that the People's Front is built on the basis of the United Front. And Foster, in his history of the Communist Party of the U.S., says that the People's Front was the application of the historic United Front policy to the conditions of the struggle against fascism and war. Thank you for that. Because it's true. First you need a United Front, then you can go on to a People's Front. So the foundation, as you correctly said, was the People's Front. This is a very old material in terms of theoretical analysis and the global correlation of forces at the time of Dimitrov. I think historically it's still relevant to the global situation, but the party with Marxist-Leninist ideology, are we supposed to engage on the people's front without any preconditions on our part? According to Dimitrov, And Stalin, Comrade Stalin, yes. Right, there is no preconditions. The only condition is opposition to that part of the bourgeoisie that is on a fascist road. Yeah, that's exactly what is being said. Yeah. So there's no preconditions. However, Dimitrov isn't saying that we're aligning with these people ideologically. We are aligning with them for the sake of defeating fascism. We're aligning with them because it is necessary, not necessarily because we want to, but because we have to. Thank you. Is the People's Front different than the United Front and the Popular Front? And also, I just wanted to know if what these comrades are saying, Comrade Dimitrov and Comrade Stalin, is if they are saying that there are parts of the bourgeoisie which aren't fascist, that they're fascist bourgeoisie, and then there are other ones that are actually opposed to fascism. And I want to really make it clear if if those bourgeoisie that we're talking about. Yes, that's exactly what they're talking about. In fact, Lenin, if you go back to Lenin during the Russian period, there were forces that we worked with, the Bolsheviks worked with in the beginning, the Social Revolutionaries, SR. That was the name. You should study that period. There were the cadets. There were the Social Revolutionaries. We worked with them at a certain point in time against the Tsar. Then we split at a certain point because the danger of the Tsar was gone. Now we had a new danger. So that's, that's the beauty of Marxism that it doesn't look at everything like a religion, like it's the same exact static time, that there is periods when the reality changes. That's the beauty of Marxism, in my opinion. It's not dogmatic at all. It's very scientific. You add a different chemical with a different chemical, you're going to get a different response. Then if you add another chemical with another different chemical, you're going to get a different response, like in the lab. So that's what the beauty of it. So that's exactly what they're saying, that there are sections of the bourgeoisie who are liberal, who basically feel they can control this society their way. They have no problems doing that. They don't need the iron fist. They feel they have everything under control. There are other sections of the bourgeoisie who feel they're losing out. Things are spinning out of control. And their analysis is different than the liberal bourgeoisie. 
So that's why we have fascism. Remember the definition by Dimitrov, the most reactionary, the most extreme form of capitalists who use the iron fist. They represent a type of fascism that Dimitrov is talking about. The workers' class enemy quickly sensed and understood what a tremendous danger the People's Front, the unity of all anti-fascist forces, constitutes for him. As long as the proletariat is disunited, as long as it is isolated from the other strata of toilers, the working people in town and country, as long as it has not established proper relationships and collaboration with the other democratic forces in the country, it is not so difficult, as the examples of Italy, Germany, and Austria have shown, for the handful of financial and industrial magnets, for the fascist bourgeoisie to crush the working class movement, to defeat the various strata of the people one by one, and destroy democracy. The fascists have successfully applied the well-known crafty motto, divide and rule. Okay, what when the clarify... When Dimitrov talks about democracy, he's talking about bourgeois democracy. I want to clarify that. He's not talking about socialist democracy. Continue. You, but when the scattered proletarian detachment at the initiative of the communists joined hands for the struggle against the common enemy, when the working class, marching as a unit, begins to act together with the peasantry, the lower middle classes, and all democratic elements, on the basis of the People's Front program, then the offensive of the fascist bourgeoisie is confronted with an insurmountable barrier. A force arises which can offer determined resistance to fascism, prevent it from coming to power in countries of bourgeois democracy, and overthrow its barbarous rule where it is already established. As the example of France and Spain have shown, the establishment of the People's Front signifies a turning point in the relationship of forces between the proletariat on the one hand and the fascist bourgeoisie on the other. To the advantage of millions of the working masses, the People's Front makes it possible for the lower middle classes, the peasantry and the democratic intelligentsia, not only to resist the tutelage and oppression of the clique of finance capital, but also to rise up against it in defense of their vital interests and rights. Relying for support on the militant collaboration of the working class nationally and on an international scale. The People's Front offers a way out of the situation which seems so hopeless to the sections of the lower middle classes who consider themselves doomed to submission to fascist domination. The People's Front helps the working class to avoid the political isolation towards which the bourgeoisie purposely impels it. It creates the most favorable conditions for the working class to accomplish its historical role, to head the struggle of their people against the small clique of financial magnates, big capitalists and landlords, to be in the vanguard in the uncompleted democratic revolution, and in all movements for progress and culture. The class struggle between exploited and exploiters thus receives an immeasurably wider base and a mighty scope.
While the split in the ranks of the working class, the absence of unity between them and the other strata of the working people, paved the way to the power of fascism. The unity of the proletarian ranks and the formation of the People's Front ensure victory for democracy over fascism, defend peace against fascist incendiaries of war, and in the long run, pave the way for the victory of labor over capital. This is the nugget, the center, the kernel of the piece of corn, this two paragraphs. What he's basically saying is that our historic struggle against our exploiters is temporarily halted. We don't love these people. These are not our allies generally, but for the sake of the greater enemy. It's almost like if you remember the stories when we were younger as children, the stories about the barnyard and when a fox would come from the outside forest into the barnyard, all the chickens and the ducks who were basically different, they all joined together with other animals on the farm in order to fight against the fox. That was the present danger that was the number one thing to get rid of. Once that happens, we go back to the normal class struggle. And that's all this we're talking about is that. Any questions that was just read by Comrade Dimitrov? This writing kind of reminds me of our history and what happened in China during the revolution, how Mao and the Communist Party had to essentially ally with the Kuomintang to defeat Japanese imperialism because both of those parties realized, although they didn't like each other at all on a lot of issues, they had to fight Japanese imperialism because it was the most deadly force coming at them at the time. Thank you. I was really, really impressed with the paragraph that we just read because of the incredible, at least to me, the incredible similarity between what Dimitro is talking about and what we have right now in our government in terms of we have Biden and we have Trump and we've got people out there going, well, vote blue no matter who. doesn't matter. Just do it. But yet other people are saying, no, no, we can't vote for Biden. Either one. If you vote for Biden, that's wrong. If you vote for Trump, that's wrong. It seems like it is very applicable here where, okay, if we decide to vote for Biden, perhaps we don't like Biden. We don't have his ideology, but we definitely want to get rid of Trump. And if we can get Biden in, isn't that pretty much the same idea as what Dimitrov was talking about? I'd like to answer that. The scenario that you're saying is a possible scenario. But there's another way of looking at that, and that is to pick the most reactionary fascist element and say that that person we have to get rid of. I do not see that means that we have to automatically vote for the other. You can look at a state where that's applicable. For example, New York State. New York State is a democratic state. We do not have to vote for Biden here. Why? Why am I saying that? 
because the way New York State goes, it's always Biden. We have the luxury in New York State to actually vote for a candidate that's closer to us. We have the Green Party running. We have Gloria Lariva running, PSL. That's what I'm trying to say. We have that luxury that other places may not have. So depending on the locale, it's coming, but it's not the same answer. It depends on where you're living. There are many states, like California, for example, where we don't have to vote for Biden. We have other candidates. The message is to not, not let Trump in. That's what it is. I, I think in Spain they said it the best. No, Pasharan. And who were they talking to? They were saying about the fascists that we're not going to allow them to pass. This is where we stop. No Pasharan. That doesn't mean that in Spain the anarchists and the Trotskyites supported the communists. They did not. But they agreed on one thing, and that was a united front. That was a perfect united front. They agreed on one thing, that the workers' parties were going to fight against fascism. And that's it. I wanted to give some context from something that Dimitrov said. It's earlier on in the book, but something that Dimitrov says is that the united front policy needs to be applied according to the material conditions of each country. In the United States, obviously, we've got 50 different states. Each state, or at least each region of the United States, has somewhat different material conditions than the other. So, like Angelo said, in New York, we can vote for whoever. In Arkansas, Trump is going to win no matter what. Biden's not going to win in Arkansas. So you could vote for whoever you want in Arkansas. Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, those are states where it's a little more purple, if you know the political terms. So if we look at applying the United Front policy or the People's Front policy in those areas, according to material conditions there, I'm not saying that you should vote for Biden there, but you have to consider we want to get rid of Trump, so you have to consider that. Okay, thank you. It's not easy, comrades. Remember this. This is strategically, we have to be a professionally, strategically looking at this struggle and this battle. At what point is fascism considered defeated, and then do we abandon the United Front? It's obvious when it's defeated. In other words, once the battle is over, whether it's a physical battle like in Spain or an electoral battle, we go right back to our main battle. We as communists have to go back to our main battle. This is not an alliance with the opposing class, our exploiter. This is just a temporary thing till it's over with. And with an election or a battle, military battle, it ends quickly. You know that. And there we go back. Otherwise, if we don't do that, we have succumbed to class collaboration and we might as well not call ourselves communists anymore if we don't continue our traditional battle. We were reading this when Dmitrov is talking about, he says in there, the 
people's front offers a way out in a situation which seems so hopeless to sections of the lower middle class who concern themselves due to the submission of fascist domination. It helps the people's front help the working class to avoid the political isolation towards which the bourgeoisie purposely impels them. That we know, we can sit here and look and see the despair that's in a lot of people's minds right now. We know we're looking at a situation where the Supreme Court's going to get packed one direction, where the election is close in all kinds of areas, and everybody right now, regardless of where they feel, is feeling kind of desperate and scared. And that this is going to be the way that we can reach people who don't seem reachable, reach people who maybe Republican or maybe anti-socialist Democrats and whatnot, that if they see that there is an alternative that can be done and reached, then perhaps there is another way out of it. And maybe they start moving in the direction. That's all. In fact, Conrad, in fact, I urge people to get a book written by Earl Browder during the early 40s. It's called The Way Out. Just what you said. It's called The Way Out. And read the analysis and see if it holds water then and if it holds water now. Comrades, you're going to have to use some of your own understanding. It has to make sense to you. If it doesn't make sense to you, then it's going to be difficult for you to explain the party, the common turn position to others. I noticed that there seemed to be a handful of Republicans in the Senate, for example, such as those who had participated in the DNC and so on. My question being, is that indicative of dividing lines being drawn between the liberal bourgeois and the fascists? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's the old-time GOP Republicans have nothing in common with fascism. In fact, the communist analysis has always been that the old-time Republicans and the Democrats are just two different sides of the same coin. They have more in common with each other than they do with a fascist. Because the fascist is the most extreme, the most reactionary. Again, to quote Dimitrov, take off the velvet glove and put on the glove that has spikes on it, has made of metal and has spikes. I want to uh, say that we need to analyze this materially and historically and understand that people like Trump can only arise from the material conditions that preceded Trump and that going forward, if Biden is elected, I don't feel like that is the defeat of fascism. I feel like that is going back to what gave us Trump and it could potentially give us a worse Trump. For example, instead of saying that there are good people on both sides of the Charlottesville rally, I very easily see Republican rhetoric shifting towards openly siding with the people from Charlottesville and through more draconian and militarized police forces on the street. Yeah, to answer you, as communists, we never said ever that Reaganism, I remember that struggle, it doesn't matter the face, it matters the policies. That's what you're saying. And yes, Trump does not represent just Trump. Trump represents more than himself. The people around Trump, is what he represents. So, although he's a narcissist, we understand that. It's not really he that is the enemy, but it's what he represents. So right now, that's our main enemy, what he represents. 
if he dies tomorrow morning, there may be somebody else who comes and takes his place who's just the same policies. So you're correct. It's really the policies we're opposed to. Thank you. It is difficult to imagine a higher degree of political short-sightedness and absurdity than to contrast the principles of the class struggle with the policy of the People's Front. Some of our overzealous criticals, quote-unquote, from the left do in regard to the decision of the Seventh Congress of the Communist International. We frequently observe the characteristic phenomenon that not a few left socialists who have become disillusioned with the social democratic policy of class collaborationism with the bourgeoisie and are now moving away from reformism are frequently inclined to go to the other extreme, extreme and become, right. become the victims of sectarianism and leftist excesses talking about ultra-leftists here. They make the mistake of identifying the policy of the People's Front with the policy of class collaboration with the bourgeoisie and demand a quote-unquote pure working class policy, declaring that the joint struggle of the working class and the democratic sections of the lower middle classes, the peasantry and the intelligentsia, against fascism constitutes a retreat from the position of the class struggle. But this does not at all mean that the People's Front policy is identical with the policy of class collaboration with the bourgeoisie. It only shows that we must patiently explain the class meaning of the People's Front policy to the sincere left socialists and help them to get rid of their own political short-sightedness which can only play into the hands of fascism and reaction in general. Okay, thank you. I think that last paragraph says it all. I'm so agree, grateful comrade. to Comrade Dimitrov. He's talking to the people who claim that they're left of us. And there are people on this phone call who fit that. They know who they are. I know who they are. They are coming to this whole thing from an ultra-left, According to Stalin, remember, everything here is Stalin, comrade. Don't forget that. The famous quote from Georgi Dimitrov, I don't know if you know this, I am a Stalinist and I'll remain a Stalinist. Now, that's an interesting quote because nobody in the communist movement used that term, Stalinist. The only term that, that was used were the Trotskyites and the bourgeois opponents of Stalin. They used that term. But all the people who supported Comrade Stalin, we used the term Marxist-Leninist. That's the term we always used. But it's interesting that this is done with Stalin. Stalin, I keep mentioning that. So I laugh when I hear people who think they're more left than Comrade Stalin. I mean, that's a real joke. So there was a question earlier about defeating fascism and avoiding class collaborationism. I just wanted to give some historical context there. In the people fronts that formed in Eastern Europe, a great example being Czechoslovakia, after the revolution, they maintained the people's front with essentially Christian democratic parties, the other liberal democratic parties and such. For such a time as it was beneficial to them, 
and it actually helped them weaken the powers of the bourgeois state. They did this as well in Hungary, and they formed coalition governments where the communists got in power. They tried to do this in France and Italy as well to less success, but we can see that it definitely has the potential to work. So the question of when does the United Front end, the United Front ends, the People's Front ends, when we achieve victory. Yeah, good point. We don't need it then. We don't need it anymore. If you don't have to agree, you could still hold to whatever position you have. So we're hoping that people will change their view from reading the text that we read at the school every week. I really like that last point that you made. I really feel that a lot of people on the left kind of identify with the Stalinist view, but to me, Stalinism, people who ascribe that label are kind of describing their views as, as if it's like a fringe view, and that's not what we're trying to do. It, it was an adjective used to attack us, and it's not something that we should adopt in our lexicon as who we are, but that's all I have to say. Great class. Thank you. Thank you. In regards to this, strategically speaking, voting for Biden in battleground states may be distasteful, but we have to remember that as not just a materialist a socialist, but as scientific socialists, we have to be able to separate ourselves from senses of moralism and idealism. We strategically analyze these topics to understand that what we may have to do that's distasteful, we have to swallow our bile and do so strategic to further our cause in the long run. Thank you. As far as the collaboration goes, it's helpful in certain situations and that also to having a purist view can actually weaken us in situations like this. And I think it's something to think about this election. That's all. Thank you. As dialectical materialists, one of the advantages we have as Marxist-Leninists is that as opposed to liberal idealists, whose predominant tendency, in my opinion, is that once Trump is gone, we'll go back to what they consider to be civility. We have this understanding that these reactionary class forces behind Trump have been mobilizing for a really long time and that Trump represents more than just Trump himself and that for some time after Trump is out of power, we're going to have to continue to fight against these reactionary forces or we'll eventually just see another Trump-like figure in the future. I've been learning a whole lot. When we started reading Dimitrov, I thought personally the best way to maybe fight fascism was what the KPD was doing or the way Fidel Castro and Raul overthrew Batista. But more and more I see how that's like an ultra-leftist deviation and how this united front strategy is going to be the best for the party going forward in the future. And I'm really seeing the necessity for it now. Thank you. Angela, you mentioned that in New York, how you have the luxury of voting for the person that you're more ideologically aligned with. I'm from New Hampshire, so I don't have that luxury because we're a swing state. A united front and a popular front are very relevant right now, as Donald Trump is talking about not doing a peaceful transition of power if Biden wins, calling into question the ballots and stuff like that. As communists, it's important to make our enemy against the bourgeoisie state and not the fascist state. Comrades, it would be way harder to do what we do today in a more fascistic state. And whether that's if Donald Trump passes some random executive order to try to prohibit the organization of left-wing movements, I don't know. But that's all I have to say. 
So I just want to clarify again the development of the People's Front. The United Front, very simply, is the coordinated action of communists and progressives for the immediate demands of the workers. The People's Front is a development on the basis of the United Front to struggle against fascism and war. An example of a United Front is our Labor United for Class Struggle. An example of a People's Front, as argued by Dimitrov himself, is a farmer labor party in the U.S. It is also a political organization built on workers' organizations, unions, farmers, and the petty bourgeois elements who are anti-war and anti-fascist. Thank you, Carmen. Good point. As a party member, we have a duty to vote. But along with that, as was explained in this class, we have a duty to do the research based on what is going on in our particular state. Are we a swing state or are we not? So again, we also have to look at downstream. It is not just the presidential election. It is Congress. And we really need to do our due diligence in just looking at who we are voting for downstream. On the ballot, you have the presidential ballot on top. Downstream on the ballot are all the candidates for Congress. In other words, you're talking about local people? Correct, yeah. The old saying is politics are local, and we cannot spend 90% of our time looking at Biden versus Rivera or Trump. We really need to look downstream and make sure we know what we're doing when we go downstream. That's very correct. Good analysis. Something a lot of people have been talking about, the similarities between now and what Dimitrov, what he was experiencing. I just wanted to say something about what some of the differences were. We know that at that time, fascism was like an international threat, and it divided the bourgeoisie on an international scale, whereas now we're seeing it with, it's a national thing. It's a national divide in the bourgeoisie where one faction is looking a little more fascist. So we're seeing like the budding of a fascist state, potentially, whereas Dimitrov, he was seeing a more well-ripened international fascist situation. But nonetheless, I think his analysis on the workers having the potential to take advantage of a situation like this, I think that we still have that potential. And as Angelo said while we were talking, that was definitely kind of the central nugget of what Dimitrov was saying. And if you look at what happened after World War II, we can see that there was much more socialist state after that. So hopefully we can use that to our advantage this time. I just want to mention that Trump is definitely implementing a fascist program. Every year he's been in office, he's definitely, he gives himself away from Charlottesville up until now, not recognizing the election. And then the Democrats always refer to him as authoritarian. Why are they afraid to use the word fascist? You never hear them say he's a fascist. And they need to start doing it because he's always red baiting to try to scare the public. So the Democrats have to start calling him a fascist, but they always say authoritarian. They're afraid to use the term. That's my comment. So I think a possible argument against voting for Biden, if I'm correct, which is why I'm asking this, is that the people in Germany didn't vote for Hitler. They voted for Hindenburg. And Hindenburg said previously that he wouldn't, appoint Hitler as chancellor, and the Nazi party's votes actually started declining. But 
through lobbying and pushing of the big moneyed interests and banks, if I'm not mistaken, Hindenburg eventually folded and appointed Hitler. I can answer it right away, quickly. Yes, please. In Germany, in the 30s and in the 20s, there was a large mass communist party. We ran our own candidates. People could have voted for Ernst Baumann. We had a candidate. So people didn't have to vote for Hindenburg. So we don't have that here in this country. There's no mass communist party. It was destroyed in the 1950s. It was wiped out. That's why they did that. Again, get a hold of a book by Michael Harrington. How many times have I said this? Called Socialism, written in the 70s. He is a social democrat, and he says the reason we had a McCarthy period is because the Communist Party was the third largest political party in this country that ran candidates. They got rid of that. We don't have that anymore. We're at a disadvantage. That's why the difference. There's a big difference, unfortunately. I think historically, the I don't know how you call it in the English language, the Stalinist, Stalinism, all of that is mostly originally by Trotsky, and the international bourgeoisie that tried to characterize the Soviet Union as a totalitarian state, as a fascist state. I'm totally against using Stalinist, Stalinism, stuff like that. Stalin consistently was a Marxist-Leninist. He applied Marxist-Leninist universal principles to reconstruction in the Soviet Union, and he also successfully led the country in the war against fascism. And he always considered himself as a Marxist-Leninist. He never said that. He never asked for credentials. Uh, so I think we have to call the movement Marxist-Leninist or socialist or communist because people like Karl Marx and Lenin were against the personality cult. If it is a science, we have to drop naming names for a revolutionary movement. That's very wrong. I think today's class is very relevant to the Cuban Revolution as Fidel Castro was working with the United Front, which they disagreed on. They were liberals, but they got together and they worked and they struggled against the Batistas. And afterwards, Fidel Castro continued to struggle against the United Front in order to gain political power and force and reinstate the revolution in Cuba. That's right. Thank you, comrade. Right. It's a good example. We worked with forces to the right of us against the fascist, most reactionary element, which was Batista. But then after that was over with, basically we fought against these people, just the way Lenin fought against the social revolutionaries after the revolution. Thank you. The material conditions that are giving rise to fascism in America are being mirrored all over the world with global climate catastrophe just over the hill. I don't think that the material conditions that are causing the masses to find interest and appeal in fascism are going to go away anytime soon. I think the work that we're doing here and the education that we're doing here is critically important towards our movement. And I'm very happy to be here with all of my comrades that are wanting to educate and fix this problem. Thank you. These next few months are going to be very volatile, I think at least. But I would like to point out to everyone that we are trying to engage in some united front, like pre-united front, actions like for example we have a people's council down in the gulf between workers world us and psl 
and I know that they're constantly trying to expand that, and I would definitely ask Angela this, more so if he thinks that it would be a good idea for us to continue to try to collaborate on those levels with the other left-wing parties. Yeah, I just want you to know that two years ago, I was at 100th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution in New York, and we had over 200 people there. It was a collaborated effort. All different groups were there. And I spoke there for U.S. friends of the Soviet people, which I was the chairperson of. And from the podium, I offered a olive branch to all the groups that were there. So I want you to know this. We even sent a telegram to Larry Holmes of Workers' World so that we could sit down and talk about some kind of... You know what the answer we got? Anybody can guess? Can I guess no? No answer at all. So we've been trying, and yes, we're going to continue to try it. But it takes two to dance, comrade. If you yeah. can't go on the dancing floor and dance by yourself if there's nobody dancing with you. The proper way to do this, I hope everybody on the call is listening. The proper way to do it is to do it as MPD. And then the second part of it is to work with the local people there. Don't reach out to the national leadership of these groups. Right, he's correct. Gonna, it's the local, yeah. Yeah, they're going to treat you bad. They hate us, but the local people will treat us well. I think it's important to recognize the common enemy right now. Trump gave a speech to some veterans, and he specifically used the word communist. So I think we should realize the danger in a second administration, but we should also take an opportunity to learn from the situation. Thank you. Comrades, uh, excellent class and extremely timely. I have good news to share with everyone. Tonight, we received word that the Liberty Union Party in Vermont, a recognized minor party, has endorsed my candidacy and has come out in support of me and of uh, our campaign as PCUSA. So I want to say that this is once again indicative of a front that's building here of different working class and progressive forces to challenge the duopoly of the capitalist parties. So it's very good news, and it's Dimitrov in practice. That's right. Thank you, comrade, for the good news. I've been reading through the United Front on my own time, and there was something mentioned in my reading that I haven't heard in the class today, and that was how the United Front builds itself and how it applies pressure on the bourgeois parties. And we need in the United Front to first unite working class forces, and then once the working class and the working class parties are united in action against fascist forces, we apply pressure on the bourgeois parties to properly and fully resist fascism, and we go from there. It's very important that we focus on uniting the working class first. Thank you. Thank you for reinforcing it. Thank you. I just wanted to echo what said about understanding that just because Biden may win the presidency does not mean that the momentum that fascism has will cease. And in my personal opinion, I see it coming back with a stronger vengeance in the upcoming election cycles. And I think that's something that we have to be prepared for universally. That's all I have to say. Well, this is my first class, and I want to just say thank you to everyone. My feeling is kind of similar to what Comrade said just before me, is that I agree that defeating fascism is of the utmost importance, but I'm not convinced right now that voting in a single election against one presidential candidate is going to 
quell the momentum. I agree that it's an important step, but I think that there's so much more work for a united front to do in terms of combating the rise of fascism. Thanks again. Yeah, this is Angelo. You're 100% correct. And I don't think anybody was saying that this is the beginning, that this is the whole struggle. No one's saying that. I haven't heard anybody say that. But we are saying that it's the first step. And you're correct. Other people have said the same thing tonight. I think Dimitrov, this comrade, is full of information. I think he's the most relevant person that I've read in the last month. But remember, Comrade Stalin, everything he wrote about in the past is just as relevant. Comrade Stalin's warning against the middle class. Comrade Stalin warned us about the middle class, and I'm not going to go into it now. It's very relevant. Comrade Marx, what Comrade Marx said about the lumpen, is very important. I think we should go into that in the future because he's misunderstood. I want to thank everybody for coming. Thank Comrade for running the class. And I hope people really learn something. Thank you, comrades. Good night.